You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. The 3CR Gardening Show is coming to you today from the Woi Wurrung Nation. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners of this land. We recognise the practices of care and cultivation of the land and waters by the First Peoples and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Wherever you are and wherever you garden, we encourage you to know whose land you're on. Good morning, near and far. You are tuned in to 3CR and the 3CR Gardening Show. And good morning to Daylight Savings. I'm Chloe Foster and with me in the studio this morning is John Arnott, Manager of Horticulture at the Royal Botanic Gardens, Victoria Cranburn. Claire Hart, the Manager of Horticulture at Royal Botanic Gardens, Victoria, Melbourne. And Ben Brooker from Treasured Perennials, and landscaper as well. So we're covering a fair bit of ground this morning. Thank you all for coming in on the right time. <laughs> no, all Good morning. Bit, uh, it's, a, it's a tough we're shift. Here. <laughs> it's a very tough shift on hey, I didn't realise. I didn't realise that it was daylight savings until about quarter past ten last night <laughs> when we were commuting home from the airport. <laughs> <laughs> First world problem, really. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, um, we were commuting home and we were listening to the news, the 10 o'clock news, and and said, oh, my God, it's like 3 CR in the morning, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah lose an hour. <laughs> lose yeah. an hour. Factor that in. Um, but it's great to be here. It is good to be here. The yeah. clock on the wall still says 6.30. It does. I'm going to ignore that. I didn't put my phone on flight mode last night mm. so that it would change for me and I would get up at the right time. But we're here. Well, I'm going to ask the obvious question because you said coming home from the airport. So where were you? We have spent a week uh, on Gary, Fraser, Fraser Island. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell a, us about the plants. Oh, John. I mean, yeah. what a, what a pl- I mean, Fraser the, the flora oh, of yeah. Fraser Island, it's the largest sand island on planet Earth. It has over half of the world's um, perched lakes. Mm-hmm. Uh I mean, it's World Heritage. It was listed as, as World Heritage, just native title. Yeah. Yep. Um, it, it was very early on that it got listed as World Heritage, I think. Really early. And, and that's because of its you know, natural attributes and features. It's, mm. you know, being the, world, the largest sand island on planet Earth, it has um, 
just a, a re- remarkable flora. Um, over a thousand species in the in the flora of a, <clears throat> you know, it's a big island, but mm. it's a relatively small, uh, you know, land area in com- in comparison to you know, Australia or New Zealand or places mm. like that. But um, uh, yeah, fantastic flora. Everything from sort of rainforest through to heathlands and everything in between. And um, it, it it is a sand island. We had to hire four wheel drives in order to um, get across the island. And um, yeah, we've just been drive, driving on sandy tracks. It's been a real adventure. The, the reason that we went is mm. my partner Lisa turned sixty, uh, and we happy birthday, happy Lisa. Happy birthday, Lisa! <laughs> she'll, if you're sensible, as you'll be. Asleep. I hope she is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, the entire clan. Um, our, our kids, oh. three generations of folks, mm. spent um, spent a week on 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 Kari. It was fantastic. Beautiful. Yeah. Wait, did you stay in one of the one of the resorts? Are we camping? No, we. Was it glamping? E- we we eco resorted. Oh, okay. very nice. Very resorted nice. to the eco. <laughs> yeah. That's great. How we good. resorted to the eco. <laughs> yes, that's excellent. Um, that was our default for the for the week, but it was pretty adventurous. We you know we spent um, uh, yeah, you know, most days out. Uh, Driving on the beach mm. is that weird? It is really weird. <laughs> it is really but weird. You, you need to because the the um, what's the main what, highlight? Yeah, yeah. But and it's yeah, the only way being to get a sand there. island, yeah, um, you, you know, you got very challenging um, four wheel drive. Yeah, in yeah, to absolutely. get to places. Yeah. yeah, and the beach at low tide, it's it, it's it, a little it, bit more stable. It's let's very say. Stable. <laughs> yeah, it's, very, it's very stable. Uh, it took me it took me a while to accept that it wasn't. Um, I'm 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 still a little challenged by by the whole. Um, you wanted to be on your treadly, let's face it. Yeah, I did want to be on it, but that would have been impossible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but just just driving on the beach, it, 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 there's an element of four-wheel driver and conquering nature, or mm-hmm. competing with it, it is, or somehow it, dominating in the landscape. It is a vibe that that four-wheel driving gives off. You know, mm-hmm. four-wheel drive tracks. It can be quite destructive. Can be. Yeah. I mean, there's limited amount of tracks. Mm. Um, you know, most of the island is actually wilderness, so it's trackless. Yep. Um, but on the um, eastern beach, that's it's 75 kilometres of, mm. of hard-packed sand. It's like almost like a straight that, line. Yeah, that's really big. It's big. Yeah. It's big. Um, but it, 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 at one point, it, it felt um, a little bit like, uh, you know, something out of... Um, Mad Max, <laughs> you know, all these big sort of vehicles, you know, doing their thing on the beach. And um, I mean, we were pretty conservative. We were probably driving at 50 or 60 kilometres an hour, but some people were flying along there, like 80, okay. 90 kilometres along well, the beach. Well, they're mm. going to hit the sandbar. You're going to see that first. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or if there's a sinkhole, you know. Yes, you'd you know, you would know about it. Um, we, didn't, we, we saw a few people come to grief and get bogged and that sort of thing. But, um, it, it, I mean, it is the only mechanism of getting around the island is by four-wheel yeah. drive. So. And getting up there as well. And getting up there, yeah. 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 But uh, super flora. Um, it goes from sort of the, the, there's, it's called a wallen heath, which is sort of a, like a damp heath, a, a um, swampy heath. And then it goes into these woodlands, and then there's the eucalyptus racemoses and the tallow woods, and on the top of the range, uh, subtropical rainforest, mm. um, growing in pure sand. Mm-hmm. Oh. A, a, a huge highlight. 
um, was to see a population of the king fern, Angiopteris evector. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah and, and big. Like, and big. Like, yeah. big. We got a wee one at, in, uh, at the RBGV in Melbourne Gardens in Fern Gully, mm. and it was planted only a couple of years ago, and I, every time I see it, I'm like, you got through winter. You know, <laughs> yeah, well done. You know, you go for it. And, but, and it's actually establishing quite well, but that must be a... Oh, it was ridiculous. Amazing, it yeah. was absolutely ridiculous. It, it was growing... In the creek, I mean, I mean the creeks, the, the water because it's sand island, the the creek water it's it's crystal clear. Yeah. Um, and the population of Angiopteris on uh, Fraser Right, there's 17 plants. That's it. Um, on on a particular little stretch stretch of creek. So we found this little pocket of of, of Angiopteris. But even on the mainland, there's not many of them either. No. So because we saw them up in the Dane Tree, and they there was just hardly any up there. Mm. A lot of small ones, and there was you know very very minimum large ones there. And and for listeners, for Angiopteris, it's considered to be the largest fronded, yeah. um, not the tallest, but the largest fronded fern on planet Earth. Mm. Um, the individual fronds have been measured at nine meters. Yeah. So if you if you're at the centre of the plant, you've got a nine meter frond going that way. Mm. You've got a nine meter frond going that way. That gives this plant a circumference of eighteen meters. But they're funny to touch too. They're real rubbery. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And this this sort of basal, um, almost like an elephant foot yeah, or something it's all like about that. The strength. Yeah, 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 for sure. But growing, you know, um, uh, quite literally on the side of the creek but roots in the flowing water of the creek yeah. so you know a tiny little ecological niche um but that was that was pretty remarkable i'll see if I, I, I was just like a kid in the candy shop <laughs> oh my god I took my shoes off into the creek <laughs> did you get smashed by mozzies oh yeah oh yes 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 for sure absolutely um shattered but that was all worth it um, but there's this uh, uh, a photograph of me poking my head out of this Angiopteris. <laughs> there's a dirty great big smile on my face. I'll see if I can find the photo. Yeah. Um, so that was a bit of a, a, a flora highlight. Um, but yeah, you know everything from uh, you know, lowland Banksia swamp, Banksia robur. Yeah, what nice. a, what a beautiful plant. I love that. I whenever I go up to that part of where I haven't been to Fraser Island for a long time, but last time I was up at Noosa, Banksia robo growing along the side of the road. They use it as a nat- um a roundabout plant. Plant, yeah. And it's just flipping gorgeous. And and the the transition from these the the buds, well the buds, the the er, the, er, the early the follicles, <laughs> the early follicles, a mm. metallic green. Oh. Mm. And then they fade to that sort of creamy yellow, and then the, the you know the, the the fruit persists on the o- like on a, the on the trees it's, brown. Yeah, it's a disco right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got your disco of colour. But yeah, from that meta- I love anything that has a metallic you know base, Sheen. and then kind of yeah moves move to something else. Just love it. But you know, I, yeah. So um, you know, every, everything from you know that sort of wallen. Uh, in the rainforest, there's uh, turpentine trees, and mm-hmm. and there's some old growth. A, a lot of um, gari was uh, logged, particularly for the turpentine. Turpentine mm-hmm. is syncarpia, uh, and it has lots and lots of uh, oils in the um, mm-hmm. in the timbers. They were used for. It's uh, beautiful for timber. Beautiful timber. Yeah, beautiful. my grandfather used to because he was he was a builder, and then he, when he retired, he did cabinet making, and he used some really old turpentine. Nice, and it was one of his favourite timbers. So, because of the oils, or just the properties of the timber? Yeah, the properties of the timber, and also, yeah, there is, yeah, the oils, and um, I think just the look as well. Yeah, yeah she did, he just really liked the the grain of it. Fun and fact: I think it was used to 
helped build the Suez Canal. Is that turpentine. right? Turpentine. Turpentine. Yeah. yeah. Because of the oils in it and it does it, doesn't it's rot. really uh, hard yeah. wood. It doesn't yeah, it rot. It doesn't rot in mm. water. Yeah. And it, a lot of piers was used yep. for a lot of pier mm. work. Um, now you've got to read that out. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's my, at my new place, the, the street around the corner from me, the street trees are syncarpias. Mm. They're massive. Like they would have been planted when that when that area was built, you know, probably in the, I don't know, 70s or 60s or something. What an interesting street tree. Yeah. I couldn't believe it when I came across them. I thought, oh, that's a funny-looking eucalypt. And I was like, doesn't really look like a eucalypt. kind of looks like a carimbia. It's one of those ones that kind of – because we don't see them very often no, down here. No, And I had a closer look – we went and had a closer look and the 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 gum nuts on them are quite distinctive because they're, they're rounded. They're like a little um, – like a little nunchuck. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the foliage, beautiful, you know, sort of stringy bark. And yeah. the foliage is, you know, it's slightly different from a eucalyptus and a yeah. carimbia as well. But obviously uh, in that group. Yes. Related, yeah. related to a eucalyptus. I think it's one of the early, the earliest or the oldest in, like, they've evolved before eucalyptus. Mm. Yeah. Yep. But They're st- sort of distantly tree. related, but, but yes. closely related. Yeah. 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 Um, but... Uh, so most of the island was logged, but uh, there was a, a particular. Um, we went up to a, a place called Basin Lake, uh, and we saw old growth um, turpentines, and these things were seven, eight, nine thousand years old. Mm-hmm. Huge, great big. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could you'd, you'd struggle to get your mm-hmm. arms around the girth of the um, the, the, the trees. Um, yeah, it was uh, amazing, and the lakes. They're, they're yeah, the half lakes. of the world's perched. Perched, sorry. John, I thought you put, you got to read them out now. Um, it's Lisa sending me some photos of Gary, I think. <laughs> so Lisa is awake. Happy birthday, Lisa. <laughs> Lisa. Um, doesn't have to be a research assistant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just enjoy the show, Lisa. Um, but, but they're, they're sort of all basin lakes. So the, um, the, the rainfall hits the dunes, comes down and hits this perched layer. So they're, they're lakes at elevation, mm. um, which are sort of uh, perched by organic matter and coffee rock. and um, Half of the world's perched lakes on Gari. It's a pretty high percentage, it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And, you know, and there's 40 on Gari, which means that there's only 40 on, on the rest of planet Earth. So they're an yeah. interesting geological phenomenon yeah. um, associated with sand. Mm. Uh, and you know, because it's all... I keep, Talking about sand-filtered water, but the um, the lakes are ridiculously clear. You know, just I've never yeah. seen such clear water in my life. And the, the sand of, of most of those, like, I mean, a Fraser Island is pretty fine sand, but the, the sand on the lakes, on the lakes. so the, it's geologically a fascinating place. Incredible, as well. incredible. Yeah. I wish I understood the geology more. I, I kind of yeah me too. started looking at a website and. Um, geology is not my thing. I get a bit confused. It's like putting a mask on, spinning around three times <laughs> and saying which way is north. Yeah. Um, I, I struggle with geology a little bit. But, yeah, a, a, amazing. Um, yeah. So the Basin Lake was a green lake and Mackenzie Lake was a blea lake mm. and there was a yeah, there's a, you know, tea, tannany lakes. Were all the – was everyone cleaning their jewellery in the fine sands of the lake when I, when I went no, there? that's a good idea. So though. I've done – because it's so fine. Yeah. Um, it just – cleans jewellery up beautifully. I mean, we've got to be careful you don't drop it and lose it. But the two – I've been to Fraser Island twice just doing four-wheel drive day trips 
and on both of them, you know, we stop, stopped and had lunch at one of the lakes. Oh, John, what sorry. Are you doing? I, I'm like, give me that phone. <laughs> yeah. I'm and, sorry. It's all right. And, and yeah, the, the tour guides on both of the days said, oh, like the sand is so fine here. You can clean your jewellery. And it really cleans it up really well. Because the, the the grains are so small, so fine, so Give fine, it a nice polish. Yeah, mm. really nice polish. That's so a, that's a fun fact. It is a yeah, it is a fun <laughs> fact. It is a fun <laughs> fact. But one of the things that I'll never forget about Fraser Island, this was I was a teenager last time I went there, pre being obsessed with plants, but it was just blew my mind still. Is the one of one of the one of the clear creeks that's it's a creek and water sitting on top of sand yep and yep. running yep it's not sinking in and running it's mm. sitting and running like yep and to think about that from a geological perspective <laughs> yeah. and, and gravity gravity <laughs> yeah, like what and like how the groundwater table works yep. like the, that that invisible line of a groundwater table so that that line is sitting above ground level for yep. it to be sitting out like that and that's how you get mm. those artesian springs and when you know the sources of rivers coming out of a mountain, like the groundwaters hit the surface. Oh, it's just incredible. Yeah, yeah. And and, and the, the creeks are creeks of sand. Mm. Like you can, like, a, yeah, what yeah. a place. It is. What a place. Very special. And, you know, amazing, amazing flora. They're just to see, you know, rainforest on pure sand. Mm. Um, bangalow palms and, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and not a lot of organic matter nope. layer as well. So it's like, where are these plants getting their nutrients from? In that perch, must like in the water. Like there's a there's like a there's a, a a sand, and then there's this layer, which is the perched layer, uh, where the organic matter and the nutrients and All so the sand can be the yeah. sand can be too deep. Okay. To to support um, life, to support plant life. Yeah. Um, so where the sand is shallower is where you get the forests. And and the and the yeah the mass the biomass yeah um, and you know the, the that build up organic matter the, is 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 in that area there amazing yeah mm. absolutely amazing so we had a great time yeah yep saw dingoes of course yeah they were quite remarkable very beautiful mm. we saw a dingo swimming Did which you? was pretty nice that's alright yeah it's great like in the in the ocean. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, in the ocean. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, was really good. Yeah. Well, it wasn't as exotic as where you went, but I went north recently as well, <laughs> up to the south coast of, of New South Wales. I was up at Pambula Beach last week, which is actually heaven on earth. Mm. Um, but dang, it was dry. Yep. It was, and it's September. Mm. And um, we had one hot day and they they upgraded it to a catastrophic fire warning. Wow. <clears throat> Bush is still recovering mm. up there and there's, you know, in between Malakuta or Genoa and Eden, the bush is been very slow to come back is that after right? that, that New Year's Eve fire. Mm. A lot of, there's a lot of growth uh, all the way along there that, that's come back and it's looking really good, but there's just this certain, there's a patch and the fire there must have been so yeah, crazy darn hot. hot. Yeah. You were talking about Genoa Peak and yeah. Mount Imlay last time yeah. you were in, and I was hoping to do Mount Imlay when I was up there because it's springtime mm. 
But it was too it was too hot and too windy. Hot. Mm. And I was gonna be doing it by myself. Mm, not sensible, Chloe. Thank you. Yep. And uh, yeah, so I, I pulled the pin on that. Mount I'm going Inlay, up there next spring. Anyway. Single track in catastrophic fire conditions. Yeah. No, you yeah. don't want to be in that. No. I was mm. wasn't going to do it on that particular catastrophic day, but it was still hot and windy the next day when I was planning on on doing it. But no, nah. no, nah, not risking it. No. Nah. Uh, yeah, it's just it's end of summer dry yeah. up there. We've well, the already moment. had bad fires in New South Wales. Really. Yeah, so yeah. Upper in Hunter Valley and all that. So yeah. 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 And well, we know an El Nino has also been called, and at the very least, we've got six months of dry, yeah. warmer, drier. And yep. let's face it, in Melbourne, I oh know September has now been one of the hottest, well, on recorded history mm. that um, we're all experiencing as well. Yeah. Let's get to some <coughs> water saving gardening stuff yeah, good idea. in a moment. We already have a caller. So I will say good morning to Victor. Hello. Oh, hello, Chloe. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. What can we What can we chat to you about today? Well, um, I'm 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 with the Bonsai Society Victoria, and um, we have a our brilliant uh, bonsai exhibition on, on ne- well next weekend at Box Hill Town Hall, and um, and, and I c- c- certainly urge and encourage people to attend and see some of the most beautiful bonsai you'll ever see. Uh, what time is the is the uh, exhibition or the show the, running? The, the, next week? the show on Saturday is between <laughs> nine o'clock and four o'clock, and um, on Sunday it's uh, ten o'clock to four o'clock. Yeah, um, I think we we plan to have a sleep in, uh, thinking that's when daylight <laughs> savings occurs. But uh, still, never mind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and is it free? Is it free to enter? No, it's five dollars for per person, and and, and not only not only we have um, um, the bons the beautiful bonsai, but we also have a, a big sales area mm. where where people can come along and buy a, a bonsai um, or bonsai materials, tools, wire, soils, all sorts of things. So to get them going, if they wish to, but but certainly there's a lot of advice as well. Um, we've, we've got a couple of exhibitions, demonstrations going on all day, and um, and so you can sit and learn and and um, and and find out more about this wonderful art of bonsai. Mm, fantastic! Fantastic, Victor. Yeah. Thank you for calling in and letting us know. And listeners out there, something to do next next weekend. I think it will be a, 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 a yeah. They'll, they'll absolutely appreciate and 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 enjoy the beautiful trees that we have. Oh, so, thank, yeah. thank you, and may, maybe we might even see you there, Chloe. You might. You just might. <laughs> okay. okay then. Thanks for Bye-bye. calling, Victor. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Has anyone dabbled in, in bonsai? Uh, not successfully. <laughs> not successfully. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Not successfully. When I was younger, I have. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I remember going to the um, the Australian Arboretum in Canberra, and that's where the National Bonsai Collection is. And it's absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. You Incredible. Know, it, it's just a visual feast because yeah. it, it kind of breaks your mind a bit to see how all of this has been, you know, I'll say manipulated, but um, sculpted. Sculpted as well, I guess, and oh, that's and a nicer way. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it does, <clears> but um, yeah, and it, it's yeah, just an extraordinary um, art form. It's yeah. interesting, and Victor just referred as you just did. Then it, it's the art of bonsai. It's yeah. the art of manipulation. It's the probably the ultimate in plant manipulation and pruning. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The Eltham APS uh, Expo that was on a month or so ago had some bonsais on display. Native bonsais? Yeah, mm. native bonsais. Or my favourite every time to see bonsai is Banksia serrata, yeah. the, yep. saw, the saw Banksia, because it's just such a gnarly plant anyway. anyway. And it's a really good one for bonsai. Yeah. Because it, it just gets that real squat. Mm, it's kind of warty as <laughs> yes, well. Yes, and so, warty. Yeah. yeah. And I guess going back to where you were travelling recently, that's um, the banks that I think of when around, say, um, um, like Mimosa Rocks and yes. Cape Conran Cape and Conran. that area. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it's Banksia serrata. You were talking about Banksia roba up further. Yep. Yeah. Just the forests. As yeah. an aside, I stopped off at the um, Bucken, uh, not Bucken, Bruthen has a new honey shop. <laughs> <laughs> and honey blows my mind from a botanical perspective because the different flavours you can get from different species, it's just incredible. And I bought a jar of Banksia serrata honey. Oh, nice. <laughs> it nice. was good. Nice. It was good. Look, the wildflowers on the car trip up there I almost drove off the road a couple of times. Mm. Goodyear lotifolia, which I can never remember its common name, one of the most spectacular peas. For anyone out there, it's you can buy it from a lot of – it's an Indigenous plant. You can buy it from most Indigenous nurseries. Mm. And I know – I'm pretty sure Karanga has tubes of it as well. Really good in shady spots. So shady moist usually grows along creek lines and um, just in, in wetter spots. Um, but doesn't need to be wet, wet. There were carpets of it, like acres, from about probably 30k either side of Can River. Yep. Was just these... It was awash with bright yellow. Yeah, I was about to say that the colour. Yeah, that, it was incredible. The, just a real true yellow. Absolutely. To, you know, it's, it's, it's not too... Warm, it's not too cool, it's just this pure yellow. Pure. The yeah. perfect yellow. Yeah. It's called golden tip. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it is a fire coloniser, so it's one of those peas that... Will pop up after fire. Probably lives, yeah, pops up, mm. maybe lives for five years, three or four or five years, and has a huge load of seed and drops it down and yeah. waits for the next fire event. I used to grow it at my old place, and it's very, it's quite prunable. It okay. does send up suckers. Okay. Uh, so not... In a weedy way, if you've got a, probably prefers a little bit of space. Uh, but yeah, it was just a really great plant for filling a spot that is that was a pretty dark area and quick. Yeah, it's quick too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was lots of oh, I saw heaps of pomaderis. <laughs> yep. And the flowers of pomaderis, and I'm driving and then trying to look at the plants. I should have stopped. The flower colours of the Pomoderis lanidra got more yellow the, f- the closer to the border and over the border okay. I got, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of tetratheca and pinks and purples and it was absolutely gorgeous. Mm. Botanising as you're driving yeah, is no. um, it, well, it's, it's, a, it's an stop. occupational risk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's face it. So it's good when you can stop. Yeah, it's yeah. good when right, you can we stop. we have to stop now. Yeah. 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 Um, but once you get your eye and you can go... Mm. <laughs> yeah, we, oh, did, more we, of that. Were, yeah. You, were you with other people? Like, were you, no. We, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's funny because when we, we go on a bushwalk or something like that, and usually you'll get a plaque that will tell you that there's a, it takes an hour and a half to do the walk. <laughs> My wife, <laughs> Kerry, she always says, oh, we'll, we'll add an hour or two on <laughs> yeah. that because yeah. when we're walking through, we stop all the time. So. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, the, the Mount Imlay walk that I was hoping to do, it's almost three Ks and you go up 600 metres in elevation in just those three Ks and two to three hours or something. Mm-hmm. 
But I thought, oh, I'm not. <laughs> it's going to be a full day if I ever get to do it. Just, uh, just reflecting back on a field trip that we did to Mount William um, with the the Hort crew and Chloe was there. Mount William, the walk is, oh, it's about at 1.2 kilometres, and it says it'll take you, you know, 25 minutes. <laughs> Try four hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you look down, yeah, you know, and, you and then people down. just separate and, and uh, you know, off track pretty quickly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Hang on. Yeah, but that's the joy of it um, is. You know, being in horticulture. Yeah. You just like see plants everywhere, Absolutely. everywhere. Uh, and seeing plants, like garden plants in the wild, it's just, it's just so very fulfilling, mm. I, I, I find. It just helps, I don't know, Put the plants in context. Mm, it's Definitely. the best kind of learning experience you could have. You're yeah. like, oh, it's growing in this. Yeah. Oh, okay. How can I do that at home? Or like, oh, cool, I'm doing that at home. Yeah. 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 There's a plant called Melastoma. Um, it's like a native Lassiandra. Mm. Uh, almost impossible to, to grow it in Melbourne. Um, <clears throat> and again, saw that on Gari in PT Swamps. No, okay. Ah. So it's a water thing. Mm. The availability of water, it needs, it's a bog plant. A mm. bog, yeah. And it, I would have never have picked it as a, a bog plant, a creekside plant. So mm. you could probably grow it in Melbourne, but just make sure that it has a pretty consistent water. You'd almost grow it supply. like you would grow a, a lithrum or a, a, almost like an emergent aquatic, not so wet. Yeah. But, but, but really, really, really so moist. In that, that margin. In that margin. That, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Wow. Where you'd grow a sedge, mm. you would grow. Melastoma. Yeah, mm. yeah. I, d- I, never, I didn't know that. I assumed it was a rainforest plant in the understory. Mm. Mm. Nope. It's growing in in amongst the banksia roba, in open peaty swamp. Mm. There you go. Amazing. It puts it together. Yeah. I one of the well the only plant I brought in this morning, um, Pultanea pedunculata, which I bought the it's from Karanga. I bought the burnt orange form because it's a quite varied in their flower colours within the species. Um, I was in the Brisbane Ranges at the end of term. We took a, I mean, any excuse really to go to the Brisbane <laughs> Ranges. It's a spectacular place. Not in Brisbane. It's about an hour and a bit west of Melbourne. Pultanea pedunculata, just the matted pea, which is what it's called. Just Carpet, green carpets, carpets of it everywhere and growing in the shittier soil <laughs> like this rocky gravelly no top soil and it was growing so well and just yeah flowering prolifically it was beautiful beautiful mm. but it's a fantastic species really great little green super low quite flat to the ground and it, as i said just before like the flower colors vary as well so i've got the burnt orange one there's the regular yellow form the goodier yellow Goodyear yellow. Yeah. It's not as good as Goodyear yellow. <laughs> no. But there's a pink one too. Really? Yeah. Wow. So the, I've only ever seen it. It's a Karanga one. It's called Pylong Pink. Pylong Pink. And it's just, it's not the magenta of the, the other Pultanae that we were talking about earlier, but it's it's a like a sort of pale candy pink. It's just gorgeous. Uh, and yeah, again, they're just, they're super tough. Mm. Super tough. Great. Yeah. Listeners, you are tuned in to the 3CR Gardening Show. It is very well over time to open up the phone lines. Victor's already called in, so he's got the phone number saved in his phone, which is great. 
The number, if you want to ask us any questions or join in the chat, is 94190155. If you would like to text message us, the number for that is 0488 809855. And I, I am Chloe Foster, and in the studio with me this morning is Ben Brooker, Claire Hart, and John Arnott. Ben, what are a couple of plants that you've brought in? Uh, one I got is a Pelagonium um, labatum. Um, there's over, uh, we've, well, I actually got about 30 different species of the Pelagoniums and, um, and this particular variety, there's about, um, well, there's about 219 species that are actually come from South Africa. Um, overall, I think there's 270 different species. Um, but this particular one actually comes from the coastal areas from the, I think it's the southwest uh, cape of um, South Africa. Nice. Um, so it really handles really, you know, sandy soils. So, and it is one of those um, cordex mm. varieties. So we actually okay. will sort of, yeah, retain its moisture in the, in the swollen sort of lignotube. Um, so... Do you have a more mature um, specimen at home that I, has the, developed the cortex? Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But this, the one I have brought in is, is actually a parent plant as well. I've got a number of some numerous of um, parent plants and yeah just pulling but off the um aphid there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but another one they got like a, a palm, palmate sort of a type of leaf or like a very similar to like an oak leaf um yeah and then down through like the center an oak leaf. yeah mm. and through the center it's like a real pale green very furry and you have this pink pinkish tinge through the, mm. the the center of the actual leaf um so i've probably had it no bigger than probably around about sort of 30 35 centimeters in height um with the flower being a nice soft yellow to having a pink sort of or like a nearly verge of being like a burgundy sort of a uh, well magenta sort of a tinge to the the edge of the petal i'm going to say that's slightly metallic as well yeah talking about metallic clear likes um and it has it looks almost like a small gunnera yeah, I was going to say yeah. So, so we're talking about you know maybe oak leaf, but also it just yeah a rhubarb kind of, feels yeah. to it as but well. But the flowers and the new leaves actually are edible. Oh. So and oh, also I use the uh, the <laughs> the lignin tubes as well. They uh, can put them in um, in certain potato dishes and all that as well. So yeah, so they used to use it as a, as a type of uh, food source. Nice. Yeah. The um, how do you come about a a, a yellow, f- creamy yellow flowered Pelagonium from South Africa. How, how does that end up in 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 your collection? Like, what was what was the source? Seed, seed. Yeah, so I brought a lot of seed in. Right. Yeah. So there's, uh, but now with this new with the phytosanitary certificates, a lot. You know, we just can't get it. It gets trickier. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Because so, I do have a wish list of pelagoniums. So, but now it's really it's impossible to get them now. So I was re- um, just reflecting on the Geelong Botanic Gardens. There was a a fella, and I'm just struggling to recall his name. He was a breeder of pelagoniums, um, and his quest was to p- produce the perfect yellow. Um, I think he was trying to produce a yellow zonal mm. um, pelagonium. So he was, you know, taking the the pollen off some of these creamy yellowy flowered pelagonium species and, and crossing them with some of the more common garden varieties. And he, he was making pr- breeding some really interesting things. Mm. Um, Cliff, Cliff, I'll recall his. But there is a surname. yellow one. They did breed one. Yes. Yeah. So, it was um, Lara something? Was it called Lara something? I think it might have been, yeah. 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 Um, but was, yeah, his quest was to produce the, the, the perfect yellow yeah. um, pelargonium. Yeah, there is a, I, I do grow a, a particular variety, the same thing, it's a cortex species variety. Um, and it's a bright yellow uh, with a white tinge on the two lower petals. 
um, very, very highly endangered. So okay. I was very lucky to get the seed of that one. Um, and it's just it's so hard to propagate. Yeah, okay. So I just can't get enough to, to sell. <clears throat> so whatever I do produce, I keep myself. Um, ben, have you made contact with the Geelong Botanic Gardens? Because they've got quite a, a, a collection of species, um, pelargoniums. No, I haven't, no. Yeah, I'll put you in contact with yeah. the folks there because yeah. you might be able to do a bit of wheeling and dealing with the um, with the Geelong Botanic Gardens. Yeah, because I probably might have something that I, they don't have. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. Because no, I do actually have some, yeah, some unusual species. Yeah, yeah so. I'll, I'll, I'll pop you in contact with the, um, with the folks at Geelong. Yeah. 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 Nice. But the... Um, so the name of it, so the labatum, it refers to as, as lobed sort of uh, foliage, um, and then with pelargonium, um, Greek terminology is is um, pelagos, which refers to uh, the um, crane's beak. Okay. Yeah, the stalk. Yeah. Well, that, that makes sense when yeah. you have a look, yeah. when you have a look at them. Yeah. Even the, um, the the native ones are often referred to as the, the yeah the crane spill the, the crane spill yeah. 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 yeah yeah little local one and it's beautiful uh, looking plant are all pelargoniums geraniums or are all geraniums pelargoniums? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, no, the lines a, are going wild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they're in that geraniaceae family. Yeah. 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 But uh, the pelagonium, like I said, there's 200, the species variety is just over 270 different species. Yep. Uh, and in South Africa, surprisingly, <clears throat> there's actually 219 different species in South Africa. So it's quite diverse in, mm. in that, that region. So. There's a, the, a pelagonium, which I'm not sure whether it's still in the rare and threatened bed, um, Claire, at the, at the gardens, but it was used to be called species F banambra, but I think it's got a, a species name now, spreading... Almost like a little, potentially a little bit weedy, or it certainly colonises large areas. Yeah. Mm. Beautiful thing. Yeah. Still there. Still there. Yeah. yeah, probably impossible to get rid of now. <laughs> but beautiful thing. Yeah, because you do do a double take. You go, oh, oh, no, no, it's meant to be. Yeah, it's meant yeah. to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gorgeous. All right, guys, we've got another caller on the line. Good morning to uh, Ian in Sunbury. Hi, guys. How are you going? Good. Good, thank you. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. I've just got a little little personal question before I get on to my main questions. Um, is that you, Ollie? <laughs> yes. Outed. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's Ian from Faulkner here. I, think, I don't know if you remember me. Oh, I do, Ian. <laughs> How are you going? Yeah, pretty good, thanks. Yeah. So, Popped uh, up in another show a few a few years later. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Of course, Olive was on a, a, a wonderful show on another radio station for years and years. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, um, with my mate um, uh, Hewan right next to me. So yeah. that's right, yeah. Hewan and, and Digger and <laughs> yeah. and, and Laurel. And Laurel. I've heard on the show as well. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, good yeah. on you, Ian. Yeah. Um, look, uh, I, I've just uh, got a couple of questions. I've got um, I put some banksias in when I moved out to Sunbury. Oh, it would have been about three or four years ago now, and um, they're they're not sort of they're they're, they're okay. They're healthy enough. They've got a bit of that um, uh, silage thing happening with them. Um, which I've tried to get rid of, but not a lot of success. But uh, um, um, but they're just not uh, not growing particularly fast. Um, and I'm just wondering what the pruning, if there is a pruning method with with banksias, and what uh, I've, I've given them a feed of um, some uh, native um, um, a native uh, um, you know uh, fertilizer, fertilizer. Um, and um, 
a few times, well, yeah, sort of semi-regular basis. Um, is there anything else I can do to sort of kind of, you know, encourage them? What species yeah. or what cultivars have you have you put in? Oh, God, I don't remember now. <laughs> um, yeah, I got them. Um, yeah, look, I'm sorry. I, I, uh, just your, your general, you know, common Banksia bottle brush type things. Um yeah. So maybe um, if where, where yeah, so maybe Banksia spinulosa or marginata or something like one that. Of those. Or, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of those um, little ones. Yeah, I'm just just wondering what, it, what more I can do to sort of encourage them to, to to grow a little bit more or something. What do you reckon they've got on the leaves? Um, it's that um, that silid, um, silid that you can get you, that you get on lily pilly. Mm, yeah, okay. bumpy bumpy foliage. Do Banksia get silid? Is it maybe a gall? It's potentially a gall. Yeah. So is yeah, it kind of more no, ball-like? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not a ball-like. Not not a gall. Not not a, not not like you get on lemons. But um, um, it's uh, it, it looks very much very similar to because I've got a couple of lily pillies here that get uh, a bit of a bit of silver as well. Yeah. Um, it's not as bad as it was. I think with the warmer weather, maybe it's it's, it's improved a bit. But there was one particular lily pilly that was, was covered in it. I did go to the big barn store and get some stuff called Maverick, which apparently is pretty nasty, and I don't mm. particularly like using it. Um, but um, and, and it had some effect. Um, but uh, um, but I, I don't know if that's causing the problem because I've got another bank here, which is an established one, one that was already here. Um, that it's it's got um, it's doing gangbusters, like, and it's got a bit of a, a bit of that silver as well. And it grow, it's, it go, it does very well. I've actually had to, you know, give it a fair sort of hack back a couple of times because one uh, one one limb sort of came down in, in a storm once, and uh, I had to sort of reduce its size to, you know, so it wouldn't uh, so to be, you know, wouldn't have that happen again. You might be um, tempted to prune off some of that uh, affected foliage. Yeah. Um, I mean, depending on the banksia, some banksias respond really, really well to pruning. Um, yeah. Other, uh, others. Uh, not so much. Like bank banksias in nature, some are really well fire adapted, and 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 they'll they'll sort of grow back from epicormic epi- growth, and they'll re-sprout, um, uh, and they'll, they'll sorry they'll reshoot. Mm. <clears throat> but there's another another group of banksias that sort of resent any sort of canopy tinkering, and um, but but is it the same? Is it the same banksia as the one the big one which is yep. uh, responding what, what, really what well to pruning? Yeah, one of them I think is, um, and the other one's very similar, slightly different uh, coloured flower, I think, sort of more of a pinky flower, but both very, very similar to the existing one. So, and how long, guess, how long have you had them in for? Oh, I've had them in for about three years. Okay, yeah, so I'm thinking that, you know, that's enough time to be established, but at the same time, those last three years have had quite a bit of water, so, yep. um, again, they might uh, respond to uh, the the. I guess drier conditions, so you know it could be a good plant for. You know, we we're talking about um, El Nino um, earlier, so um, yep. for the warmer, drier climate that we're experiencing. So I actually wouldn't over fertilize them too much. Remember, you know, phosphorus is a big thing for um, for banksias. So you know, you, I don't know what's kind of happening in the soil. Um, if if it is that um, the the pest issue, I think as John said, just to remove as much as you can, um, mm. and, and leave them be for a little bit, just. Um, Uh, Just monitor, um, observe and um, see what happens next year because we've just come out of three years of of, um, very, uh, you know, know, above average rainfall, let's say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I did hear that that one method is to, once they've flowered, is is prune the the flower stems off, you know, know, prune the flowers off. Like usual pruning, yep, prune to shape. Yep. 
that's what is one. your soil like anyway? Yeah, that's uh, Dunbury. <laughs> so yeah. is that sandier soil yeah. or clay soil or? It's pretty clay soil, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a very light, very um, thin layer of, of, of pretty ordinary topsoil, and then really hard clay under that, about about two or three hundred mil down at the most. I reckon mm. you probably want to try comp like adding organic matter, compost, yep. and mulching as well. And the mulching yes, might I do because mulch. it's been so wet. Yep. It might help to sort of minimise the dryness that we're going into. Yep. Yes, well, I'm, I'm going to be going to be putting a big load of mulch down probably this week sometime. Mm. So I'd probably find so even even in being a clay soil with all the rain that we have had in the previous years, you probably have fi- find that the there are certain minerals that are probably leached through the soil, like your mine yep. elements. So yep. usually when a plant gets attacked by certain insects or fungal problems, is usually um, uh, you're not getting the complex forms of proteins in the actual plant. Um, right. To really complete protein, you need to have all your mine elements available in the plant. So mm-hmm. if we've had all this rain and you're finding you're actually getting uh, molybdenum or uh, manganese, they're actually leaching through the soil or it's not yep. available for the plant. So you're not actually completing the certain nitrate reductase enzyme. So, so oh. it's actually not converting to amino acid to a complete form protein. Yep. Um, I mean, if you oh. don't have... If you haven't got molybdenum or um, boron or um, iron or sulfur in the soil, the plant mm. can still actually convert it to a protein, but it's not a complex form of protein. Right. So making yeah. sure that you have got all your mine elements available for the plant to complete mm-hmm. that pro- process of the nitri- uh, nitrate reductase enzyme, um, yeah. that will probably, yeah, you'll find that it'll actually probably resist the insect infestation on the actual plant so, so, so what, what we need, need to do to just keep um you know occasional occasional fertilizer and no uh, so up. best thing is probably um trace elements and i find the okay. best way to use trace elements is actually foliar spraying it so when you but when you foliar spray you actually will spray underneath the leaf but do it first thing in the morning when your stomates are open okay so uh, you can do it late in the afternoon as well yeah. Yeah, so, okay. so Ben, I've, I've I've got this problem. How, where do I go? How do I? What are the steps? Um, like you just so trace elements. Do you do? You, where do you get them? Well, trace elements. You should be able to get that from any local nursery. Yep. Um, and then you just I, I I mix it up in a you know pressure packer or an atomizer and um, okay. Yeah, the day as, before. As is as if as if you were spraying. Uh, herbicide, that yeah, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Using a different yeah. spray pack. Yeah, different yeah. spray pack, yes. Yeah. Manutech yeah. have a good trace element product. Okay. Mm. Uh, they also sell the individual trace elements. That mm. you can, and again, you can get them from, from most nurseries. Okay, new, new tech. Okay. Manutech. Manutech. So the, one, the, the main pH test that we use, that's oh, yeah. Manutech brand. Yeah. Uh, and they do, yeah, they, they're sort of ag, but they've, they, they're good for gardening and horticulture okay. as well. So one thing... Oh, so yeah, I've got a really good um, uh, nursery out at Riddles Creek, so I'm sure yeah. they'll have something. Yeah, but yeah. you only need to do that. I, I, look, I only apply it twice a year. That's all I do. So, yeah. and I usually do that in spring, um, and then I'll do it towards the end of summer. As a foliar spray. As a foliar spray, mm. yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and Banksies do respond to foliar spray, so if you eye and chelate yep. them, that's a foliar application. So mm. We didn't ask if there was any leaf discoloration. Did you mention that? Uh, no, no, there doesn't seem to be. Um, 
No, there doesn't seem to be any discolorisation. No, just just they're fairly you know green and the white. You know, yeah, there's not yeah, they haven't browned off or anything like that. Both tre- all the trees are looking okay in that regard. But Ben, your your premise is you can build resilience through nutrition. Mm, yeah. yeah. Is that, is that the, so that's my the trio, instead of being MPK, my trio is actually boron, um, uh, calcium and silica, which I use it as a form of potassium silica. I want to get to this properly with yeah. Stuart Ian on the line. Ian, mm. did you have another question about a plum tree? I've got a note here. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, look, I think I've got it under control, but uh, yeah, just I've just got that leaf, uh, leaf curl problem yeah. with one of my plum trees. Um, I've, uh, I did copper spray it a couple of times at Budburst. Uh, doesn't seem to have done any good. Um, I've, I've stripped all the affected leaves off this tree. Um, and, uh, we'll just see how we go there. But the, the other one next to it, uh, the, again, they're, they're fairly, you know, fairly young trees, about three years old. Um, the one next to it doesn't, ha- doesn't seem to be affected at all, but the, but one of them's just, uh, yeah. Uh, so I've stripped all the affected leaves off uh, there's new leaves coming through which are looking okay um but um um i'm just wondering if, if there's anything else apart from the copper spray that i can sort of do as a, as a precaution next time i wouldn't use copper spray no i don't know if it's curly uh, plum trees don't get curly leaf that only affects peaches and nectarines so it could be yeah. something else that's a aphids aphids can cause yeah, no, I, I did send. I did send a um, a photo of it to a nursery, and uh, they said it was um, it was definitely this, this curly. It's sort of a curly leaf thing that it it, it, it curls right up, and um, it's got a bit of a film of this yucky stuff on it. Um, um, and uh, yeah, but it but it only um, uh, it only affects the first flush of leaves. The second flush of leaves um, look look a lot better. They're mm. not as affected. Look, I. Instead of using a copper-based fungicide, I prefer yep. to use um, the OCP Eco fungicide now, which the active ingredient in that is potassium bicarbonate. Oh, yep. Sodium bi- bicarb soda solution yep. also works as well, and it's um, not nowhere near as damaging to the soil or to you okay. to apply. So um, yep. Eco fungicide, if it is a fungal issue... Yep. Uh, or, or bicarb soda spray, and it's a table, right. a dessert spoonful in a in a one litre bottle or something. I've got eco fungicide. I'll try that. And you yeah. and you think use it in the same way as you use a copper spray? Basically, do it for, uh, at bud burst. You know, no, that sort of thing. it's something that I'd probably do fortnightly or monthly throughout the growing season. You can right. because it's pretty low grade. You can apply it with fruit on there. You just make sure that you, you know you obviously wash your fruit before you eat it. But you can apply yeah. it while fruit is on. But after when you've I, I, used it put like a sea sole on the soil as well um, or right. if you can get your set, uh, hands on uh, a product called fulvic acid yep. um, because you want to neutralize because you don't want you want good bacteria in your soil as well so when you start using copper sprays or any sort of herbicide uh, sorry fungicides or insecticides um, you are killing off good microorganisms in the soil at the same time so you need to sort of right. try and protect them as as much as possible as well that's the question i was going to ask like, mm. so so you you uh, you apply in the foliage mm. and you get drip and it drips into the soil mm. that is effectively uh, the, well, that is affecting some of the the soil biota yeah so i don't use any any herbicide, uh, well, fungicides or insecticides whatsoever it's all about plant nutrition that's how i see it building resilience yeah well it's actually building the cell cell wall Okay. Um, and then 
in between a cell wall, which they call uh, middle uh, lamellin. Um, if we can build that cement film, then they yep. can't penetrate into the, the cell because wall. Because I, I, I give the plum trees a good feed, you know, with some good um, fruit uh, fertiliser. Um, you know, it's, it's in springtime and autumn time, things like that. Um, same with the, same with my um, uh, lemon trees. Yeah, yep. nice. Yep. Great. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, no Ian, problem. thanks for calling all right. and all the best. Beauty, Ian. Yes, yes, no worries. Okay, Cheers. see you, Ian. Thanks, see you, mate. See you. Some complex diagnosis happening yes. there. <laughs> this is the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm Chloe Foster, and in the studio this morning I have John Arnott, Claire Hart, and Ben Brooker. A couple of text messages, guys, before we move on. Um, one of our cheeky listeners, who I know... I know who that is, asks, what is a cordex? So it's a swollen, um, it's basically like a swollen stem. Mm. So, and uh, often you'll find, you'll see, uh, it's either under the ground or uh, as it ages, they will eventually pop through uh, above the ground. Um, but it's this mechanism of actually storing minerals and, uh, and water yeah. as well, because usually when you see a cordex plant, it comes from a very sort of harsh sort of area. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Thank you, Ben. Mm. So it, it's not a tuber. Is it? Could a tuber be a cordex? <laughs> I, I think I asked. I reckon I asked Tex this last time. He was talking about them as well. Yeah. I was like, "Is that different to a lignotuber?" And I can't remember the answer. <laughs> no, I think they all play different roles different so days, for different yeah. plants. So yeah. that you know, and again, it's it's depending on where they are. So this uh, coming from South Africa. Yep. Yeah. So. Um, very, very harsh conditions over there as well. So it just depends the the plant where they are yep. and and um, you know that that kind of specialised um, uh, development, I guess. So of of how they've yeah um, developed over. And is a cordex woody? Because I I, I, I think of something it. like bo- yeah, bo- yeah, yeah, bo- yeah, they are woody on the outside. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. something like bocania, the ponytail palm. I mm. tend to think of that as being a, like a big cordex. Or yeah. Like, um, Brachychiton repestris is that a cordex? No, that's a trunk. That's a, s- a stem. swollen trunk. Swollen <laughs> oh, stem. stem. <laughs> now we're getting into the, the botany yeah, side yeah, of it all. Are. But storing storing starches and water and, and water essentially. Yeah. That's a, it's a it's a subterranean. Sometimes it's a trunk, but it's a it's a mechanism for storing starch. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and sugars and yeah yep. and yeah they they store a lot. Yeah, yeah, minerals in there as well, so as a reserve, and and that would yeah, make them have... succulent, in a way. Yes, yeah, sort in of. a way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. Oh, guys, I just want to get to some community announcements, yeah. but I'd leave them until a little bit later in case people are still waking up. Um, all right, so what have we got? There's a few events that are coming up. There's been a lot of events in September, and it's now um, pinch punch first of the month. So next weekend on the 7th, <coughs> sorry guys, on the 7th and 8th of October, mm. so next Saturday and Sunday is the Mount Macedon uh, Plant Lovers Fair. Ben, you're going to be up there? Oh yeah, yep. Yep. Yep, we're preparing for that now. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. Um, so that's being held at Bolobek up in Mount Macedon. Uh, on the 14th and 15th of October, which is the weekend after is the Lardner Park Garden and Home Expo, and that's in Warrigal. Ben, you're going to be there as well, yeah, which is great. Yeah, we're preparing for that at the same time. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're doing the road trip. Showtime. Yes. You're on the road. <laughs> we're very ahead our first one. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. 
The 21st and 22nd of October is the Friends of Royal Botanic Gardens Melbourne plant sale. Sure is. The 28th and 29th of October is uh, the Fernie Creek Hort Society Flower Festival as well. So I'm just going to leave it at October events. There's lots going on in with Open Gardens Victoria too, and I'm just going to open up that email. While I'm doing that, um, the Australian Plant Society Victoria is has already put a save the date out for their 2024 biennial conference. It is being held in Melbourne um, at Jeff's Shed on the 30th of September till the 4th of October next year. APS hosts incredible events, um, and this one will... Uh, guarantee you will be another cracker so there's presentations workshops garden visits and different sort of tours happening for that uh, they will release more information uh, as we get closer to the time but the dates have been have been set so 30th september to the 4th of october and that's this weekend was there any, next year. an initial theme there chloe or is it a bit early for that Gardens for Life, I think, is the theme, okay. and there's lots of little birdies and insects on nice. the flyer that I've got. So okay. in maybe instead of focusing on a particular family, they're focusing on wildlife gardening, or yeah, or gardens as an ecosystem. Mm. Yeah. Cool, lovely. Yeah. And Open Gardens Victoria, it is springtime, and they have got things absolutely cracking again. Now there's quite a few. There's three open gardens this week around Wonga Park. Um, and a little bit further out, check the Open Gardens Victoria website. I don't think any of them were open yesterday. One of them is open for just today and another is open for today and tomorrow. So check out um, the Open Gardens Victoria website for the ones that are open this weekend. For next weekend, there's two gardens open in Hawthorne and Kew. So Kincora, which is 57 Kincora Road in Hawthorne, it's open Saturday and Sunday next weekend from 10 to 4.30. It's a garden that has been designed by Andrew Laidlaw, who is the landscape architect at the Royal Botanic Gardens Victoria and president of Global Gardens of Peace. Mm. So Kincora comprises of four distinct outdoor spaces, the front garden, um, creates a framework for the house um, and there is out the back there is a small children's garden um, to provide a little safe space for the kids to engage in imaginative play. The rear garden uh, sits around a more contemporary architecture at the rear of the house um, where there's a pool and lawns and outdoor sitting areas. So that's 57 Kincora Road, Hawthorne. And while you're there, on the Sunday only is the Walpole Garden on 63 Walpole Street in Kew, 10 to 4.30 next Sunday only. It is an Eckersley Garden design uh, of a stunning um, 1885 Victorian home with a contemporary extension at the end. So the garden invites the visitor on a journey through spaces filled with a very wide variety of plants um, and it is sure to uh, entice visitors with their plant selections and combinations. So it's $10 for adults and $8 for students. Under-18s are free. You can pre-book um, through the OGV website and try booking. Um, otherwise, you can pay on the day. 
So it's Hawthorne and Kew next week. And we have a double pass to give away for each of those gardens. Call 94190155 if you haven't already to pick up double pass tickets for those. And Doug will help you out uh, with how to get hold of those tickets. So that's Open Gardens Victoria um, next weekend. And thank you to OGV for providing these goodies to our, our gardening show listeners every week. Um, we are very, very thankful. Um, another thing I have to say a big thanks for is our Radiothon, one of the Radiothon events that we sold tickets for was uh, a, a masterclass and nursery tour of uh, Tonkins, Bulbs and Perennials, and that was yesterday. I see that. Um, so I met some of our lovely 3CR listeners yesterday. Super. Um, and Jane and her partner, Carol, uh, just showed us around the nursery and what they do. And it's just, it's just um, from a, a horticultural perspective, the way the different things that they have to do to propagate these species mm. is just amazing. One of the species that, that Carol was talking about um, because there's not a lot of information about growing these plants in Australia. And I'm going to talk to Jane about how we can get some of the information out of her head um, and, and on, onto a page or, or something like that. Um, yeah, the, the oh gosh, the little microclimates that they have to do and the seeds that they have to collect and sow at a certain time and different mixes that they use. It's just It was just incredible to see their setup. And she has learnt mo- you know, most of this from her dad who did it, who did it before her. And it was just... Amazing to see generational knowledge. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty special. You can't yeah. beat it. You can't. But, but no. with propagators and with nursery, it's it is that <clears throat> skill and expertise and technical knowledge that people find so interesting. It's one of the kind of best tours. It's it's it has to be by booking at the RBGV. But people are fascinated mm. by the behind the scenes. Mm. How do we make it happen? And yeah. you know, we've got a couple of people who've been there for a very for a reasonable amount of time, I'll say a very long time, that um, have developed, you know, ex- ex- exceptional skills yeah. in, in you know, making these plants grow for us. So it's, it's, um, it's information that really does need to be passed on. Yeah. Um, and I'm delighted that those people had that opportunity to, you know, to really um, better understand just, just the challenges. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty Me special. Too. I'm going to try to work out, uh, with Jane to take some students up there to see what they do and, mm. and give them a hand in, in you know whatever they might need. Mm. Uh, it was just the, her and Carol are so generous in every way. Um, put on a great spread yesterday as well. <laughs> um, it was it was just absolutely it was absolutely wonderful. The the amount of species they grow and um, Carol is really involved in the Australian Native Orchid Society as well. Yeah, right. And he holds the tuber bank. For ANOS. For ANOS, right. Mm. So the native um, terrestrial orchids that they had as well, number of diurus, the donkey mm. orchids nice. in mm. flower, caladenia, spider orchids, uh, they had a really big range of stuff. And people can access those orchids through ANOS and you can buy – I think Jane said like they're only a few dollars a tuber. Yeah. Mm. Do you different- need to be a member? I would probably say so. You'd probably but want that to be a be member, totally wouldn't you? Totally worth it. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely. mean, supporting the cause by being a member. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's probably quite a modest membership. It, it would be. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. most most of those sort of groups have pretty 
yeah, modest yep. membership prices. Yeah. So it was pretty. It was pretty special yesterday. And I met one of our a couple of listeners. And hello to I can't mention. I won't mention everyone's names. Kay, but particularly hello to Anita. So. Anita lives out in Jindavik and she listens to us every Sunday morning whilst making her sourdough oh, loaves for the week. In perfect. her in a um in a, a, a oh, just lost it. They're off grid. So oh, she's right. baking yeah, okay. it properly. In a wood in a fire wood, oven. In there a wood are. fire in a wood oven. Fire. <laughs> in I can see it in your head. I'll just pull it out for you. In the Aga. <laughs> yeah. So Anita was absolutely, absolutely gorgeous. So um Hello to Anita. And she came out from Jindavik. Uh, another listener came up from Red Hill. Margie from Mount Macedon came as well. It was Sweet. just, it Good. was it was amazing. So hello to all of our listeners out there. And thank you guys for supporting the station and the show. And it was really lovely to um, to chat to, to some of you yesterday. Sounds like a special day. Yeah, it was. Mm. Yeah. It really mm. was. Terrific. And there's another... Um, is Virginia opening her? Was that another radio? Um, it is. Sp- uh, I was going to say radio fund. Yep. Yeah. That was another fundraiser. Garden party. Yep. Garden party. Coming up in yeah. November. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> we sold more tickets than what we thought. Oh. I think there's going to be about forty people <laughs> wandering around Virginia's garden. Awesome. And then plus us. Plus us <laughs> and, and a few panelists come along. Love to. Um, yeah. In in November, uh, the nineteenth. I think. Beauty. So yeah, that's gonna be another That'd be fun. Another fun day too. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks to Jin for um opening your doors there. Beauty. I, I will say on the fourteenth and fifteenth of October as well, um, one of our regular panelists, Loretta Childs, is her garden is open through Open Gardens Victoria Great. as well. So Eltham? Uh, Christmas Ish? Hills. Christmas Hills. Up that way. Yep. Yeah. So uh, Loretta's garden is incredible on pretty tough conditions or at the top of the hill looking down into Yarra Glen. Right. Um, so pretty tough soil, but she is just, they're so creative with what they've done with the garden and with their house as well. It's like, if you can get along, get along. to Loretta's garden in Christmas Hills, definitely get along and chat to her and see what she does and, yeah. and what she's all about too. So, yeah. Okay, that number again, if you want to join us, it feels like 7.30, but it's actually 8.30. Oh, I just, uh-huh. I just looked up at 7.30. Yeah. I know. Wow. That's a long six minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, number, yeah. the number to jump on air with us is 94190155, and the text line is 0488809855. We are on Facebook and Instagram as well under the 3CR Gardening Show and hello to our podcasters out there. If, you, if you're if you a podcaster or you catch up on the show later somehow uh, or you need to send some photos to us, that's best done via email, which is 3cr.gardening at gmail.com. And we had a email come in from a listener, Mitchell, last week. Um, one of the topics I touched on last week was um, straw bale gardening. And uh, Mitchell kindly sent us in an email um, with some of the tips and tricks that he's gotten from um, this straw bale, straw bale sort of veggie gardening. Um, he did recommend to keep the um, string tied around the straw, straw bale to keep it to together. To keep it a bale? 
to keep it as a bale. Yep. Um, but a couple of inches of chicken manure um, and fresh from someone else's coop, but otherwise um, get it from your nursery if you can. Um, really fresh nutrients from that too. Um, if you use, plus a um, bit of potting mix. Cow manure and loosen bales, um, they react together and there's a favourable um, microorganism called protozoa, hmm. which is oh, a nitrogen-fixing cool. um, microorganism. So... No way. Yeah. So, say so again, lucerne hay, yep. bales. Bales, yep. And cow, cow manure. manure. Yep. And um, you'll get... It's a favourable uh, uh, food source for protozoa. Right. Yeah, so that'll help to solubilise um, the 74,000 tonne of nitrogen above our head per hey, hectare. Mm. So, hey, yeah, it Hey, Ben. How do you know that? <laughs> yeah. I sent him an email recently. <laughs> yeah. the same. Yeah. Uh, a big what, rabbit hole. What's uh, your? Yeah. What, it's a rabbit hole. Yeah, okay, yeah. So you've so gone down the hole and it, you've never come yeah, back. Yeah, one element leads to another, and yeah, and then from that element, it leads to different parts of the actual plant, and you know what, what it actually does in the plant. So, have you formally studied soil science, or is it? You know, what's your? What, what's the? How do you bring such knowledge to, to this panel and, and what's, how, did, how did you get that in your head? Well, it was actually, see, so I studied at Charles Sturt University as just as a horticultural yeah. uh, background. Um, and when it came to the plant nutrition, it was a lot of my own research. Okay. So I'd le- read uh, certain papers that certain professors have actually written cool. from all over the world. Um, and then listen to, um, to certain agronomists and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then from there, you know, it just sort of ventures down different a- avenues. And um, at the moment, I'm sort of looking at uh, a, a thing what a plant does is, is uh, what they call is rhizophagy or rhizophagy, um, how it actually mines or farms microorganisms and, and solubilizes um, phosphorus and uh, nitrogen and, and all the other mine elements and, yeah, out of your soil. Beautiful. Yeah. So there's sort of... We're Get talking all these different paths. We were talking just before the show started <laughs> that you don't rely on NPK as your main uh, no. for, uh, main nutrients for plants, but it's BCS. Yeah, that would be it. Or BCSI. Sorry. Boron, calcium, and silica. Yeah, so boron, calcium, and silica. Well, which is silica, is you get that as a form, it's called potassium silicate yeah so they're the three three major ones i actually apply those three three times a year um usually as a foliar spray potassium silicate i'll probably apply that maybe four to five times a year probably a bit more and this is all on your ornamental plants yeah yeah Yeah. um it doesn't matter vegetables um fruit trees um fruit trees are very big very big with boron and calcium yeah because um, boron, so people always think of potassium as actually what you know um, promotes fruit and all that sort of stuff and flowering in in plants. It, it's actually it, it often will govern flower size or um, uh, fruit size and also you know, help sort of hold the, the actual fruit and flower. But boron's actually the driver of it all. Mm. Right. So they're an actual one of the major minerals for um, sort of setting um, well, pollen. So it actually elongates the pollen shoot and the actual flower. Um, and then sets more pollen in the actual plant as well. But NPK is mm. still required, yeah? It is, yeah. yeah. yeah but it's not a substitute for NPK. No. It's, it's in addition to and with all of the additional benefits. Yeah, so is, is that right? Yeah, yeah so my NPK, so I, um, I provide certain uh, bacteria 
into the soil. So I'll, I'll try and solubilize uh, phosphorus in the soil by using something like um, uh, like Zonobacter or um, and then even something like I, I'll mix up. Um, uh, I, I do a brew of called uh, um, Lactobacillus, but then I'll provide uh, loosen to it and also uh, molasses as a carbon source or the sugar source. But with the leucine, that'll actually provide the protozoa and also um, zoonobacter. There's, other, there's all sorts of different sort of bacterial um, elements in there. And um, you, you'll make up the, is it the molasses mix yep. and, apply, and apply it. To the plants, I'll do That's it as a... That's how you get... Yeah, so I actually spray like, the plant. How can people get this stuff? Uh, well, it's lactobacillus is very simple. I have spoken about it on a previous episode, so it's actually um, using rice water. Um, so you actually use say two hundred mils of well, grams of, of rice water, uh, rice sorry, and you put say a hundred to two hundred mils of water on it, and you just stir it for two to five minutes, uh, and then you'll actually put that in a twenty liter bucket, let that sit for ten days with the lid, um, and every day if you can crack the lid just to sort of let the carbon out. Yeah. Um, and then after that you'll fill, probably put about three to four litres of water, uh, milk in it, uh, and then let that sit for another sort of ten days. Same thing, you've got to crack it every ten days to sort of release the carbon. Oh, and then fresh. you'll actually get this, it sort of coagulates and you get that sort of, uh, what do you call it? It goes, like um, curd. yeah, you get the curd on top. So you get the curd, you get rid of it. You've got chooks, feed it to your chooks, put it in your compost. Uh, or even in your garden, um, even fed to your dogs. I mean, it's all good for the for the animals anyway. Yeah. Uh, and then from that process there, I would fill the bucket pretty well. I'll probably leave uh, probably a quarter of the top of the bucket. Um, so you fill it up to, and you leave about a quarter of the from the top. Uh, and then put about maybe 100 to 200 mils of molasses in it and a couple of good handfuls of um, lucent. Right. Yeah. And then just let it sit for 24 hours. Just stir it. You, when you can, and then yeah, more it'll, natural it's starting way, to brew. So it's a more natural way of getting. Now, are you getting NPK a particular P or K from that mix? A yeah. lot of this is new to me, so bear with me. Yeah, so it's yeah. actually so when you apply it, so the microorganisms are starting to work. They're starting to solubilize uh, the phosphorus in the soil, yeah. um, and then also, uh, you know, taking the nitrogen down the atmosphere nitrogen, yeah. as well. So and then that goes in that process of what I was saying before with. Um, uh, rhizophagy so the plant uh, through the root tip uh, root hairs or so, so the, sorry the, t- the tip of the root uh, that's where the uh, endophyte will, will sort of go into the actual root system um, and then what the plant does it releases like a super oxide so it oxidizes the the um, microorganisms uh, sort of out of coating uh, and then what they do is they just puff up like this big jelly thing and they will circulate within the, that sort of root hair in around the, the, the cell structures. And at the same time, what the plant's doing is ex- it's extracting the, the minerals out of it. So it's, a, it's more of an organic form of, yeah. of um, um, getting its nitrogen and, and, um, and phosphorus out of the soil. Great. Hey, Claire, I reckon we need to get Ben to come and talk to our teams <laughs> uh, uh, about this stuff. This is fascinating. Yeah. Uh, did, have you documented this, Ben? Like a, do you do a blog or have you... Well, I'm actually starting to type it all out, like writing it all out now. Great. Um, but awesome. the funny thing is with that endophyte, so when it's sort of taken, excreted, excreted all the, the minerals out of it, it puts it into the root hairs, spits it back out, they let all the other microorganisms uh, know what's happened, that there's this strange prison. So they all try and gather up all as much as what they can in the minerals and then they go back in and it's sort of this whole farming process. So. Extraordinary. Mm. Yeah. Just, you know, again, um, 
amazing information um, and, you know, how you do use that. Um, uh, I guess there's, you know, different ways and, um, you know, it's, it's about kind of, um, I guess, creating your own, you know, dare I say, recipes because mm. it needs to work for, for your soil, mm. your plants, your conditions. Um, and just a, another tip, I guess. Um, so on Thursday there was a great um, talk by so- soil scientist um, Simon Leake and that was part of BCALM and BCALM is uh, a Botanic Gardens Botanic Gardens Collections and Record Management crew or group yep. or offset. Yep. Um, yep. And so if you go to the BGANS website, I'm pretty sure that was recorded. Um, and Simon stepped through, a ho- you know, about the importance of, of knowing your soil before you do anything else. Mm. So um, knowing what that soil profile is um, and so that you're going to make uh, the right decisions in regards to, to, to zoning, you know, um, uh, if you do need to adjust um, in the nutrient level in your soil or add trace elements, um, understand it first. So, again, he, he was like, um, as soon as you start a new garden, you get in, you take a, an, a sample, an auger sample, um, and re- and have a better understanding of what it is that um, you are uh, uh, about to You're grow your garden on. Yeah. So, and mm. again, uh, if something that we do at the gardens is any time that we're developing a new area, the soils first. Mm. You know, what yeah. do we need to do? Yeah. What what yeah. is the balance? What do we want to grow there? And and what are the you know? I don't know if optimum is the word, but what are the the conditions that we know we're going to get? You know, success um, because. It, Again, what um, Ben's talking about, this is constant. This is ongoing. This is mm. something that you're doing all the time. Amazing. Yeah. That, yeah but that, then a lot of the work is done is through the microorganisms. So exactly. they're doing all the work they're for doing, me. Yeah. yeah. You're yeah. just, you're yeah. a facilitator. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Yes. So he's talking yeah. to that subterrain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, um, oh, the whilst it was a, a botanic garden collections for, um, and records format, that it, it's a public link. So yeah. I, I actually think that'd be a good one for us to stick on the um, 3CR socials because it was almost like a bit of soil 101. Yeah, and and I guess one of the big takeaways now is that, you know, we're on, there are very few um, unmanipulated, untapped or, you know, for a better word, virgin soils. Mm. So Mm. it's, he was talking about areas that he had to go into, uh, look at, um, you know, a new garden that was going to be developed. And it's like, uh, records show that you know 150 years ago this was was an orchard and then from an orchard it was a, a farm and then mm-hmm. from there it was a, uh, a quarry or something like that so a number of different iterations novel I guess if you like yeah. Um, yeah. and and so what you think when people are yes we're going to you know come back and it's all going to be a, an indigenous um, uh, garden here uh, and those, those plants will grow well. Well, mm. they don't no. because mm. it's been so, so modified. modified. Yeah, yeah. So, that's a really good point. So it's yeah. about um, cool. knowing, yeah, it, that soil horizon, really, really important. Yeah. So mm. knowing what you've got and then you can start to do those amazing things that you know Ben's, Ben's talking about. And, and I, I love that idea of uh, yeah, the soil biota, the soil microorganisms doing it for you. Mm. So yeah. um, mm. talk about cut out some of that difficult work. And <laughs> yeah. I'm so pleased that you're documenting it, Ben. Yeah, um, it's a slow process for me though. <clears throat> my yeah. wife Carrie, she keeps it on my back about yeah, I've got to get it done. Is, so. is the plan to to, to publish or? Ah, uh, no, I haven't thought about any of that. I think no. you should. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, you're or, telling yeah. a great story, and so that is just the the. Then you've got that. Um, you know, you've got half of it done. So mm. you tell the story. People just follow all those leads. Yeah, because so. there's a lot to it, and it's like I find like. Um, it should be taught because everyone gets taught about pH and how to use pH kits. But mm. I think there's also um, a tool I actually use a lot was uh, called a refractometer. So that actually will give me what, what your BRICS levels. BRICS levels is what your sugar levels are in the plant. But it also will indicate what my calcium level is, 
I can tell if it's actually deficient in calcium or if I'm deficient in boron by just reading uh, how it's like. Because with, with a refractometer, it actually works on numbers in a line. So when you, if you're around about sort of five, uh, which is actually the lower part of, the, of your BRICS level, so you've got very low sugars, but if your line is actually really fuzzy, that means your calcium level is actually quite high. But if that's a real crisp line, you're actually deficient in calcium. But then it's also when you do a reading of a morning and then do a reading of an afternoon, if your BRICS levels haven't changed, then you know you're actually deficient in boron because the boron actually, um, another part of what boron does, it actually controls a flat with your uh, phloem and xylem, uh, which allows your sugars to go back into the ground to feed your um, bacteria and all that and fungi in the soils. And if that level is the same in the afternoon as it is in the morning, that there's no boron that's not open, open and closing that flap. So your sugar levels are always staying high. They're not going back into the soil. So, but if it's changing, then you know they're all... Yeah, it's working. It's working. Mm. Yeah, fascinating. You know, a good level of boron. Absolutely fascinating. Mm. Mm. Wendy in South Gippsland has texted in saying, don't suppose Ben has a workshop on this stuff for home gardeners? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I have spoken to my wife about it. Um, we've been a little bit busy at the moment, yeah. this first half of the year, and... Um, we would like to try and maybe open up and then do a talk and about the different brews that I do because I mean I do various different brews. Um, so instead uh, of buying bags of some sort of organic fertilizer pellets, you make these different so, types of brews. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. it's good. Yeah, yeah that's closed loop. Ben, it would be as so I, I I agree. Who was that? Wendy. Wendy, I agree with Wendy. It's it's there's a series of workshops, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah it's, because I mean, I, I I was emailing you about this recently, and you sent me a couple of links, and then I hit the link and couldn't find anything more, and didn't go down that rabbit hole. There's not a lot of information out there about this mm. for for gardening, mm. um, and you've probably been reading a lot of like high-level horticulture and agriculture research stuff. Yeah. And you, what you're doing at the moment is, like, filtering it down to the, to this, this <coughs> gardener level. Mm. So... Showing people how to make a brew. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. people might not necessarily need to understand the science behind it, but if they know how to make the brew and how to apply it... Mm. Everybody knows a done. compost tea. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, again, that you're just stepping things up quite a bit. So, yeah. But, yeah. you know, it's, a, it's something that, yeah. um, you know, a, a lot of us do like it. Yeah. Mm. And, and you can access these different types of uh, trace elements. And I mentioned the Manutech brand before because they've got a trace element fertilizer that mm. you can buy but they've also they also sell the individual elements so you can buy boron and calcium from as a as a trace element but um can i step up and just ask about the boron because i get nervous when i hear boron yeah I, and i'm going to say that just because of um uh, i guess the behavioral changes that we all undertook with um uh when we had um, water restrictions, mm -hmm. so people using grey water, mm. and so boron being present in a lot of um, washing, yeah, uh, liquids yep. and things like that, and people over because it's such a tiny amount that you use. So yeah, that's it. I'm going to yeah, get you much. to clarify that just because I think it's important that you know people aren't going boron. Great, here's a couple of tablespoons that mm. are, you're just going to you know throw everything out of whack. So yeah, no, well we certainly if you, if 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 you have got grey water, then don't, don't apply it. If there's boron in there, then, yeah, you are going to find it become a bit more toxic. Mm. Um, try and use clean water. And see, I, I just apply it three times a year, and it's mm. through liquid spraying it. 
So it's a direct yeah. inject. Mm. So when you start applying to the soil, it can accumulate mm. in the soil and okay. become quite toxic. So mm. you can use boron as a, as a herbicide. Mm. Um, it's quite toxic. <laughs> mm. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, and it's easy to increase those levels, isn't it? It is, yes. And yeah, they so, stick around. Yeah. Exactly. So doing the direct inject, um, then the plant will absorb that mineral and it'll use it when it needs it um, as it's you know, photosynthesizing. Um, and also, you know, moving the sugars and all that sort of stuff. But it is a very crucial driver of uh, cell strength. Mm-hmm. So and it's stem actually development. Yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. but you need to apply calcium mm-hmm. because boron's a driver of calcium. So it'll actually, um, like I was talking about before, in between the two cells, you actually have uh, what they call uh, middle uh, lamellin, and it's like a cement form um, forming sort of liquid. And with the Born, it makes the calcium turn to a calcium pectate, which is the driver of it, um, which helps to sort of strengthen that area. Um, there's a bit more involved in that one. Um, but also another synergist is uh, silica as well. So they're all major um, minerals to, to work together. So. This is a, it's a ripper of a workshop. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, but three times a year. But I'm also my, looking at these healthy rules. plants that you've got here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very so healthy. Which, uh, yeah. We'll do well, born, say, spring. Uh, summer, autumn, that's it. Mm. That's how you do it. Yeah. Beautiful. We have one of our regular callers on the line who's been waiting very patiently. Fermi, are you still there? Yeah, just take you off speaker. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so you can hear me? We can hear you. Thank you very okay. much for waiting. All right, yes. Look, sorry, um, uh, I, as you know, I wear two hats in terms of garden clubs. I belong to... Uh, AGS, and I was very happy to meet so many uh, 3CR people uh, last weekend yeah. <laughs> at the, uh, the conference. Uh, but the other hat I wear is as uh, part of the Rock Garden Group at the Fernie Creek Horticultural Society. And uh, probably because we've been so involved with the conference, we forgot to advertise the fact that we've got a buy-swap sell next weekend mm-hmm. uh, at Fernie Creek. Okay. It's a very small affair. It only goes from 2 o'clock to 4.30. Uh, and it just it, it's mostly things that members have grown. But we've also invited a few other people uh, to see if they uh, are able to get there. But as I said, it's short notice, so we're not going to get a lot of people in. And I think there's something going on up in the Macedon area that might detract some people. Yeah, the the Macedon um, plant lovers yeah, fair is on next sorry. weekend. I wasn't, wasn't, wasn't going to name it. It's competition. <laughs> sorry, <right>? competition. <laughs> yeah, so on, on the seventh of October, we're at uh, the Ferny Creek Hall, which is strangely enough in in Sassafras, actually. Uh, is um, we're just having a small buy swap and sell. It's being run by the Rock Garden Group and the Rodo Camellia Group, and. Um, we're hoping that uh, there'll be uh, a lot of stuff for sale, mm-hmm. uh, but members have grown themselves. So, but uh, we've also invited a couple of people. I'm just waiting to get back on uh, from a few people. Um, Jane did agree, but then I told her the wrong date. So <laughs> I'm hoping she's still available for the seventh. Yeah. Okay. So. John and for me, the um, the uh, I, I heard the. The seminar, the conference, was a roaring success. Um, any reflections on, on on that forum a couple of weeks ago or last oh, week? Look, it was, it was only <laughs> strangely enough. It seems a lifetime ago. It was only last week. Last week. Mm. And, um, uh, yeah. Look, um, 
It, it was very ambitious because it was organised in less than 12 months. Uh, it was talked about, you know, two years ago, but it only got the organisation really only started uh, 12 months ago, and or less than that. And I ha really have to commend the, the conference subcommittee because um, uh, they really um, went all out to um, to put on an excellent um, uh, show, uh, conference. Uh, we we had an excellent um, international speaker who did a great talk, and he's sitting at my breakfast table now, so I have to say that. Uh, who, who was that, um, may I that's ask? That's John Mitchell from the Royal Botanic Gardens at Edinburgh. Yeah. Oh, lovely. Yeah, yeah so, um, and uh, he got... Um, he got to see the Cranbourne Gardens and um, and also a, a quick look at the Melbourne Gardens, but he didn't have much time there. And then got up to Matt and uh, Mike's uh, nursery at Antique Perennials at King Lake. And uh, I hadn't been there for about five years. I just couldn't believe how extensive it is now. And uh, if um, uh, listeners have not been up taking the drive up to King Lake, they really must do it. It is just so impressive. And, uh, and John, who, you know, who's uh, uh, from Botanic Garden, he was just blown away by things like the growth on the potophyllums up there. And if people don't know what potophyllums are, they need to go up to King Lake and see them. Sure. Yeah. So, but yeah, no. So um, the conference was good. Um, I think we we had a balance of uh, the international aspect on bringing plants in from the wild to uh, having somebody uh, Russell. Lark from the Botanic Gardens at Cranbourne talking about bringing plants in from the Australian Alps and the success they've had with a, um, a program called Raising Rarity, which the Alpine Garden Society of Victoria, as a charity, has actually been able to um, support, yeah. uh, mm. uh, give a grant to to um, help with um, you know the, that process and. Uh, and uh, yeah, so Russell was very, a very enthusiastic speaker. Didn't know anything about non-native plants, strangely enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's Russ. We'll let him off. <laughs> yeah, we will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, he, he was he was great, and um, I'm pretty sure Virginia had his, her eye on him for a possible uh, stint at 3CR at some stage too. Yeah, uh, Chloe. Yeah, we've too. been trying for a while yep. to get get him. We just on. need to work out a date. Yep. He was going to come yeah. on at some point, and yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah some other things too. So, yeah. Fermi, the conference last week was absolutely awesome. I had a ball and I learned so much and uh, John was fantastic. The, yeah. the places in the world that he has travelled to and the plants mm. that he's seen and what they grow at Edinburgh Gardens too. It was yeah. epic. It's pretty yeah. Yeah, oh, epic. I have had a look actually and it is extraordinary. Mm. So you do, um, I don't know if anyone else has been to Edinburgh Gardens. No. Just seeing the... Um, uh, the display, I guess, you know, mm. the the collections oh, that they have there. Yeah. You, it's just one plant after another, and it's uh, like, oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was incredible. Yeah, no, no, yeah, Edinburgh is one of the gardens I really wanted to go and look at. Um, anyway, when when the first time I got over to Scotland, and uh, and um, I think that was the first place I went to actually when I arrived in the UK, <laughs> and um, yeah, it was uh, just such a such an experience to see that and. Uh, a yeah. lot of uh, wild collected material, yeah, majority and, of their plants. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's but, one of those, you know you're a plant obsessive when. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing you do in Edinburgh, yeah. in Edinburgh is go to the botanics. Doesn't everybody do that? <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, Fermi, yeah, no, congrats to you and and everyone for putting on such an amazing conference. Uh, Sounds pretty special. Yeah, it was really nice to meet you as well. It was our our 50th anniversary, so I think the next one in another 50 years should (laughs) be really great. Oh, looking forward (laughs) to it. it. (laughs) Got a bit of time to plan then. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, don't forget, Fernie uh, Fernie Creek, we've got the Buy, Swap and Sell on the 7th of October. It just runs from 2 o'clock till about 4.30, so... um, it's not a very long thing, and so if people want to get in touch with me through the um, uh, Ferny Creek website, they can get my phone number off that, and um, yeah, just uh, we can uh, organise a table for them. It's we only charge; it's very cheap. It's ten percent of your take. So if you only sell ten dollars, you pay a dollar. Yep. And if you, you you spend, you sell more than a thousand dollars. It's only a hundred because we, we only take maximum of hundred. Yeah. Great. Okay. All right. Super. Thanks, Fermi. Okay. All the best. Bye. Just a couple of other events on. It is nine o'clock and we're here for another 15 minutes. I have John Arnott, Claire Hart and Ben Brooker in the studio with me this morning. A couple of other events that are coming up. The Kevin Hines Grow Spring Garden Fair is being held in October. Um, That's in uh, Coburg and Doncaster area. And the Cranburn Friends have their plant sale on the 21st and 22nd of October from 10 a.m. till 4 p.m. That's at the Royal Botanic Gardens in Cranburn in the, at the Australian Garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, Claire and John, where are the plant sales held at your respective gardens? So if you know uh, Melbourne Botanic Gardens um, and you know the Tropical Glasshouse, it's on Glasshouse Lawn, so the lawn just in front of that right. there. So... Um, Near, we've had a bit of a gate change uh, name, so it's now near uh, Southern Gate, you would enter, which is the old E-Gate. Okay. Yes. That's really confusing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That, I can imagine an episode of Utopia. We've got great maps. Oh, my God. <laughs> the maps have all been updated, so Good. it'll look incredible. Like, yeah, all the information's on the website as well. But, right. yeah, you know, E-Gate, great, or Southern Gate. <laughs> John, what about? Um, Egan Potter Lakeside Precinct. So it's the lawn at the northern end of the Australia. Garden, which has got its own dedicated garden. I'm going to do a, a kiss shout it out loud to the um, to the growing friends because they do an absolutely amazing job. And, and if people often ask, well, how can I get plants from Botanic Gardens? Well, it's through the friends. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the friends take cuttings. They've got plants of interest. You know, we work directly with them um, for plants that they know grow well. They then, you know, the, uh, the money that they um, um, raised from the sales goes back into a number of it could be projects it could be scholarships it could be um uh new gardens there's a whole yeah. range of things that they do with yep. that money so yep. um all volunteers so yeah uh, shout it out loud to the friends absolutely definitely amazing teams of people they that um certainly are that are involved in those groups um a reminder, back in April, the City of Melbourne ran an Urban Nature Symposium, mm. which I know it was like a fun fest for so many people in industry. It was absolutely incredible um, two-day symposium. They have uh, just put the, the select, all the lectures were recorded from the first day and they've just put them up onto their YouTube channel. Okay. So if anyone missed it or if they want to go back and catch up on some of those lectures, and I'm, I've got the tab open on my computer because I really want to watch some of those again. Um, City of Melbourne, the easiest way to do it is the City of Melbourne 
um, YouTube channel. There is a pl- they made a playlist for the Urban Nature Symposium, but um, if you just scroll through their videos, there it's all it's all listed. Trippy. So if anyone wants missed it and wants to catch up, um, they're finally been released, uploaded, and uploaded. Fantastic. Yeah, and Fantastic. uploaded. All right, uh, we've got. About five minutes. Hey, can I mention, we were talking about the yellow pelagonium. Oh, yeah. I, I just did a quick Google search. The fellow's name was Cliff Blackman. Yeah. Um, and I'll just, he, it, it's interesting. He, like, he, he, he was the breeder. He, uh, he, he passed away in 2017 at age 97. Book unpublished. So he mm. commenced writing a book about the, the process of breeding the yellow pel- pelagonium. It is available as a PDF. Um, but I'll flick I'll flick you this uh, link, Ben, because yeah, uh, it, it, it's it, his quest for the perfect, and it's called a zonatic hybrid. So that it, it's a zonal yep. pelagonium yellow zonal hybrid, yeah, um, okay. which, which was his life quest. And um, there's a yeah, his his book was unpublished, but it's been now available as a PDF. Yeah, and I have got a beautiful yellow at home, a quite rare one. So you could probably take the pawn off that. Yeah, one that's and, right. And see if we can do something with it. <laughs> um, thanks to listener John who texted in saying that Mount Imlay got devastated by the fires. Go back in ten years' time. I'll take that information on board. Yep. Um, and Wendy in South Gippsland has um, suggested a book. The regenerative guide to garden amendments um, is mm. is really fantastic. I've, I don't know whether you've ever heard of it or read it. No, is not that one. No, listen to it. Uh, and the other guy that she has um, learnt a lot of is Graham Sate from NutriTech in Queensland, who's doing a workshop soon at Jonai Farms. Yeah, he's really good. Okay. Yeah. What What was the name again? Graham Sate. Graham Sate. S A T E. S A I T. S A I T. Joel Williams is another really good one. Okay. Um, uh, even Matthew Evans, he's actually in Tasmania, mm. so he's an agronomist and yeah. he's written a book already on on soil. That was a recent one. He's just yeah. published. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's actually a good read. Yeah. yeah. Re- so. Really popular. Really popular book. Yeah. 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 So there, there's a few good people out there. Was yeah. there a Was there a book called The Landscape Underground? Uh, or am I just imagining like a great that? Title. Yeah, yeah, it does actually. <laughs> so Ben, you. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put you in touch with John. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you would just want some rights. And someone's just texted in. Thank you very much to whoever's done that. The Kevin Hines uh, Spring Fair is Saturday, the fourteenth of October, from nine till three. So much going on. It's mm. just awesome. We had couple of dead bloody years and it's all up and running again and yeah, it's we've great rebooted not anymore absolutely yeah. guns are back guns are back um well, they never went anywhere but yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, we've still got a couple of minutes left ben what's a tell us about one of the other plants that you brought in uh, i've got one here it's actually from china uh and the other place the other country is korea and also taiwan and it's also into japan it's one of the uh plant they call mukdenia rossio um, this one here it actually has more like a maple sort of type of leaf, um, herbaceous plant. Um, so in in the come autumn, you get these beautiful, nice autumn colours. You get some nice yellows to reds to oranges in the actual foliage. Um, and then come spring, you have these nice limey green sort of maple leaves with a, a nice, beautiful white sort of umbel of flowers on top of that, like little star-shaped flowers. Um, this was mm, actually... Yeah. Um, it, we had... A, there was a... A gentleman named of John John Ross. He was a, a Christian missionary, uh, who which he, he actually settled in China, 
um, and he set up a couple of Christian camps and all that there. So he actually, he was the one who actually named this particular species. That's where he gets the name of Rossi I from. Mm-hmm. Um, Did and you name he, it after himself? Yeah. Oh, that's a, yeah, but he actually sent that back to, to Kew Gardens. Okay. Uh, I think it was back in the early 1800s. Yeah. So, but it's a, a plant that probably gets around about nearly a metre in width. Yep. Um, Vigorous. No, it's not. It's only very, very. Let's. It's done through rhizomes, but a very short noted rhizomes. Um, so you're probably only going to get around about a meter, meter and a half. But that's a pretty old plant. Um, but in subalpine plant, woodland plant. No, nah, it's more an understory. So it is actually it loves a nice shady spot, like a woodland um, plant. Yeah. Yeah, and then in summer you don't want it in a really dry spot, mm-hmm. like under eucalypts or all that. It's sort of got to be kept cool and um, just a little bit moist. That's it. So good mulching and. Yeah, and usually protects it a bit. It's lovely foliage. It is, yeah. So especially mm. when it turns colour in, in autumn because you do get some really bright yellows to oranges um, and even into, into reds where they have bred it and crossbred it with uh, with begonias. Um, and now oh, okay. with the begonias, they instead of being more of a maple leaf, well, it probably is sort of more of a maple leaf but really tight. Okay. Uh, but then the colours, it turns to a really rich, deep red. Yeah. So there's some... Hey. Did I miss something? Is it is it deciduous? Herba- yeah, so in in it will go back into the ground over winter. Okay. Herbaceous yeah. perennial. Yeah, yeah. So it looks yeah. that foliage there looks just lush, like it's just yeah. Yeah. recently yeah. said hi. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but in, with the muckdenia, there's only yeah. two. There's only two species of it. Mm. Um, well, I think now there is three because there is a variegated form which we do grow. Um, but the yeah, so the, and then then they've all um, crossbred them, and yes, and then there's all these different cultivars now. Mm. But the, there are hybrids between it and Virginia. Virginia, yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. So it's in that Saxifragaceae family. Yeah, Saxifragaceae. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So and it's very similar to like a hookeria. Yeah, yeah. Formation. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. And is that a coleus? No, it's a purple one. one. That's okay. uh, no, that's uh, Scutellaria, Scutellaria incana um, variety, uh, Parvifolia. So the other common name is they call skull caps. Mm. Right. Um, it's only it's beautiful, little, nice little ground cover. Um, it doesn't sort of run too quickly. It'll just sort of sucker um, sort of very very closely to each other. Um, the name comes from scuta, um, scutella, uh, referring to I think it's small um, small cup. Um, and then, then you got the parvophyllia, which is actually parva meaning small as well. So, mm. yeah. But then, um, yeah, just there's that nice little purple little yeah. spike flowers on it. It's like an upright tubular flower, which you don't yeah. see very often. Yeah. Like a, a lot of times, tubular dragon. flowers, yeah. Yeah, pendant yeah. or, yeah. Mm. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. A bit of, uh, like a, a juga like, but not the foliage. No, mm. no, this sort of nice rounded, mm. sort of very lobed. Mm. Yeah, but if you look closely at the tip of the flower, it sort of does resemble that skull, yeah, with a cap. When you look at it really closely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, we're almost done. What's uh, what's happening in the garden today for you guys? Going home gardening? A little tiny bit of um, repotting, just a little bit. I found some great pots just in an op shop last week, so um, I thought I've got a beautiful Xeranema 
calistamin, so a little New Zealand plant. You know nice. that one? Yeah, yeah. beautiful. So, uh, um, and again, it's it takes a long time to, to grow. Beautiful um, sword-like foliage. Yeah. Um, but the, and flowers take you know some time. So I'm looking really looking after it. Um, and it was a gift. So you know those gifts that your plant friends give you. Mm. So it's very special. I'm trying to um, you know really look after it. So, it has provenance. Um, yes, and um, yeah. So t- tiny bit of potting up, a little bit of tweaking, bit of mulching. And yeah. a bit of watering as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Haven't Giant. seen the garden for uh, 10 days. Yep. Uh, and I believe it's been pretty warm. So been I'm warm. imagining that I'll be doing a bit of watering. Mm. Mm. Yep. Um, a bit of weeding, maybe? P- almost certainly. Yeah. Yep. 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 Ben, what about you? Um, we're preparing for the expo. So we're picking and cleaning and, yeah, and sort of sorting all there for the next two expos. Yep. Mm. Yeah. So we're mm-hmm. taking a very big collection. I, yep. think, I think we've been pretty close to. Two and a half thousand plants. So literally a truckload. It is, yeah, definitely. It's it's packed, yes. 250 trays, there's 2,500 plants. Truckload of plants. Yeah, yeah, that's intense. And if this is any example of the quality control, I can, sitting right next to it, very nice. Very nicely grown plants. Absolutely. We've got quite an extensive range of um, species in that, so I think we're pretty close to nearly 3,000 species. Mm. Oh, that's extraordinary. So. Good awesome. buying, folks. Got, and I've still got more coming on through seed that I got from before the finest sanitary come in. So, yeah, nice. we've got all new species coming in. And you're going to do a workshop yeah. at some point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you heard it first here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I repotted one of my fiddle figs, my big fiddle fig, uh, during the week, and I didn't have an indoor pot to put the black pot back into. So, it's like, I'll just leave it in the corner of the deck. It yep. gets a bit of morning sun, it'll be fine. Well, I looked at it yesterday. There's like three sunburnt leaves. Oh, oh, it's like yeah, okay. Rookie error. Rookie error. Absolute rookie. Uh, it's just busy error. And that's just yeah, busy. busy error. Yeah. yeah. And the thing yeah. with those great big leaves, if they if they if they're flawed, they're flawed forever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're like crinkle cut chips. They're yeah. gone. They they last on the plant for years yeah. and years and years and years. So mm. they're going to be sunburnt for a mm. while longer now. So I've rushed mm. it inside, but I've got to find something for it now. We haven't got time. I was going to ask you a question, but I'll I'll. I'll a text in next week. Yep. About right. fiddle, fiddle All right. figs. Sounds good. We do need to talk indoor plants one day, but we'll get there. <laughs> um, thank you very much to everyone for tuning in. Thanks, Doug and Liz, um, for producing and doing the socials. Thank you, the three of you, for coming in today. Really appreciate your time and knowledge. Thank you. Don't to worries. our listeners, we'll uh, see you again next week. Bye for now. <laughs>